I am beyond excited for today's uh, text because, you know, when we were talking through the last couple of weeks, we've gone from, you know, this teaching series to number our days. Uh, you know, it, it really is, let's just call it is, very simple to make the most of what you've been given today. I mean, that's it. That's really what this thing comes down to. You know, we actually talked, I, I wrote about this yesterday through some social media stuff. Yesterday, I was in Indiana. I was on the radio, uh, on a radio station there with some good friends. And it was just kind of like, you know, not every day do you have a microphone, but when you have a microphone, you use it. You know, some days you're at a gas station and you have somebody in front of you, you use that platform. Whatever the platform is in front of you today, use it. And I think the reason we live like that, because we know what's coming. And that's how we are unfolding. And you know, one of our very first lessons was the battle begins, right? And that battle, Ray, ultimately is between who? Well, it's between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. And so you have this seed of Satan and the seed of the woman, which eventually the seed of the woman is who? It's uh, eventually it's it's a believing Israel uh, that the uh, seed of the serpent is going to come against in the end. Yeah, and it all funnels through Jesus Christ, and so that battle is going to keep going until the very last moment that the enemy can try. And so we're going to get into that today from an Old Testament perspective on how that fits in with the New Testament. So basically, I want you to think of this. Genesis 3.15 is going to be addressed in Joel 3. Does that make sense? And then in Joel 3, you know what you're going to see? It being fleshed out in Revelation 16 and Revelation 19. So remember, one of our goals when you study the end times is to get the holistic picture. The reason people are overwhelmed in Revelation is because they never studied the back end. And if you studied the back end, when you get into Revelation, you're like, oh, Moses already wrote about this. Joel already wrote about this. Amos already wrote about this, right? That's the mentality that we want you to have where you're not functioning in any realm of fear, but in complete hope and honestly excitement. Like I get excited when I start talking about the end times because I I believe we have the answer. And if we have the answer, we have nothing to fear except running through a brick wall. It might hurt, it might not. But either way, we know what the end is. And so, you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, Kevin, we, we talked about Daniel and Daniel's prophecy of how many weeks, Kevin? Uh, 70 weeks. 70 weeks. We talked about Daniel's 70 weeks. We talked about the seven, the 62 weeks, which equals 69 weeks. And then there's one more week to come. Ray, one more week equals how many years? Seven years. So you got seven years. So when you think about the seven mm. years, it's split up into two sections. Three and a half years and three and a half years. This whole period, okay, you could be called the tribulation. Okay, we're, we're, we're all familiar with that language. Ray, what's the last three and a half years typically referenced it's, as? It's called the great tribulation. And then last week we talked about the rise of the Antichrist. The rise of the Antichrist, okay, really he's going to be populating already in the earlier stages before the seven years. But then as the little horn, he's just going to show up, okay? He's going to show up along with, now you remember the, the weird language? Okay, he is going to show up with the fourth empire, the fourth beast, right? The beast, though, serves who? Ray, ultimately, who is the... Hey, uh, it's Satan empowering a demonic spirit that empowers the empire. So the dragon, right, is Satan, okay, right? So in this process, just so as a quick summary... Yeah, the fate, a fourth empire, which is known as a really bad, ugly beast that nobody knows how to describe. In this fourth empire realm, 
you're going to see this language of the Antichrist, and they will be interacting with one another. We're going to talk about the Great Tribulation more on, in the book of Joel. We're going to talk about the famous phrase, the day of the Lord. Great Tribulation, the day of the Lord, the judgment of the nations is what we're going to be talking about, and Israel will be blessed. All of that will be in today. Okay, so I just gave you your sermon points, okay? So the Great Tribulation, but now you know that Great Tribulation typically focuses on the last three and a half years. The day of the Lord, Ray, if you were to say, hey, the day of the Lord, I know it's not just one day, okay? Because our days are different than God's day, right? But if you were to articulate the day of the Lord time frame, we usually would think it's more towards the end of the seven years. Would you agree? I actually think it's outside of the seven years because if you look at when... On the, on the back end. On the back end because uh, we don't know how long the wrath of God is poured out. And I believe it's in that time frame kind of towards the end. I think it all sort of bleeds together. We have it, you know, so that we can understand it. And scripturally... We want we it to it, line up, right? All yeah, we have it a pretty hard stop. But I believe this is real world stuff. And, the, and this battle uh, steps into, you know, the wrath of God. And the day is specifically Jesus' return. And when he brings a, an end to all of the, all of the uh, nations coming against Israel. Now, I will tell you, out of all of the books of the Bible, this is, this is a, I don't, I mean, it doesn't matter if I have or I haven't ever said this. I would say this, Joel, the book of Joel speaks to me the most about what's coming for me personally. There's something on this little book that breathes life into everything. And that's why I want us to really slow down on this text. And so if you guys would, I want you to open up in Joel 1. And in Joel 1, I'm going to give you a, a, probably a little bit more of a, of a summary uh, than maybe than you wanted. But I think it's important. But go to Joel 1, verse 1. Basically, the, the first... 14 verses of Joel 1. Now, normally I wouldn't do this, you guys. Normally we jump right into Joel 3. But in order to understand Joel 3, you have to go through 1 and 2. Okay? Otherwise, you're just kind of like, man, I don't understand this prophetic word. Okay, 1 through 14, we're talking about a plague of locusts. Okay? These little nasty creatures. But one of the things is that you'll see in verses 1, through, 1 and 2 that there was nothing like this lo uh, locust plague ever in memory. Okay, so what is taking place, uh, and in fact, in verse 3, in Joel 1, verse 3, by the way, it says as well, there will be nothing like this locust plague in the future. We've never seen anything like it in the past. We've never seen like it in the future. And in fact, there's these, uh, in verse 4 of Joel 1, verse 4, these devouring locusts, right? These swarming locusts. Uh, Kevin, it, it's kind of a crazy story because they're destroying everything. There is nothing left. And in fact, here's what this minor prophet Joel does. Now, Joel we really don't know anything about this guy. Twelve different times that the name Joel is maybe referenced, and is it this Joel? Is it that Joel? The only thing we really know is that he is the son of, and Kevin, it's back in Joel 1, verse 1. I think it's, it's, his dad's name is Pethiel. Joel, the son of Pethiel. So that, that's pretty much, you guys, that's your backdrop for Joel. That's who he is. We don't have a whole lot. Uh, he writes very similar to Hosea and Amos. I think that's kind of interesting, and it's important. But so, Kevin, do we have it on the vibe by chance? Okay, remember you have, you have northern kingdom, southern kingdom. 
mentality, right? So Joel, Kevin, just articulate, who is he writing to in this language? Joel's writing to uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, and it's early on in the divided kingdom. Very, very early on. So what we're talking about is this, of this locust stuff, what we're talking about, why this is important, is Kevin, did this actually happen? It did. It did actually happen. But Kevin, is it going to happen again on a different scale? Yep. Do you remember every time these prophets, they're writing something, it's based on either some experience that's going to happen right away, or it has been, or it is happening, and then there's this bigger picture. The reason I need you to understand locusts are devouring everything is because it's just a small little picture of what's to come. Okay, so in Joel 1, you're seeing this, and he says to 10 different groups in Joel 1, you guys, I need you, I don't know how else to say this, I need you to mourn because what life is like is not good, and he's going to give 10 different people groups. I'll give you an example, okay? Go to Joel 1, verse 5. Joel 1, verse 5. Because of all the, the, the devastation, wake up, you drunkards, and weep. So that very first people group he's talking about is drunkards. Because of a collective sin, yes, he's talking about this, uh, that he's addressing this. And now, why would uh, drunkards be weeping? Well, the same process as the second group, which is vine dressers or wine drinkers. Is both of these people groups, Ray, how would they be impacted if there's a famine? If drunkards and wine dressers, how would they be impacted? No more wine. They got no more alcohol or liquor or old charter. <laughs> <laughs> And so here's the point. It's like this language of like, uh, like how they found their identity, you guys. It's not there. So he's speaking specifically to people. And then because of time, I, I want to just keep going through. He's going through this process, right? He goes down to verse 11 and 12. Now he starts talking to the farmers. All of you people, he starts going through all these people groups. When will you wake up and cry out to the Lord? It says in verse 14. You're losing everything. And again, you have to set the tone in order to understand Joel 3 and the prophetic because they're going through some really hard stuff. In verses 15, really on into chapter 2, really to the end of chapter 2, you're going to see what's called, we're looking to the day of the Lord. You guys are dealing with stuff now. Oh, wait, there's more to come. You guys are dealing with this, and he says there's more to come. And in verses 16 through 20 of Joel 1, he says, and oh, by the way, here's the results of what you're experiencing. Hasn't the food been cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. Verse 17, the seeds lie shriveled in their casings. The storehouses are in ruin. The granaries are broken down because the grain has withered away. Verse 18, how the animals groan. I love this one. The, the herds of cattle wander in confusion. They don't have a pasture. So they're wandering aimlessly because they got nothing to chew on. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. It says in verse 19, I call to you, Lord, for fire has consumed the pastures of the wilderness and flames have devoured all of the trees of the countryside. Even the wild animals cry out for, watch this, for the riverbeds are dried up and all fire has consumed the pastures of the wilderness. What he's trying to do is he's saying, guys, what you're living through right now is awful. And he's saying how it is. Sometimes I, I wish, you know, Joel 1, you know, if you're to take an equivalent for Scripture, you, you bring in a prophet today, and I'm not saying equate anything to Scripture, but just what would it look like for our country? So all I'm just saying is, is that he's setting the tone in Joel 1 of, of really what it looks like. 
Ray, you want to add anything to that? No, that's good. Then I, here's what I want to do. Joel 2, that's your backdrop. Again, I want us to understand, because I think what happens when people walk through Scripture, and I, look, I've been guilty of this as well at times. You, you want to highlight a verse, and you hang out on that verse, but you have no context of what the Scripture is talking about. It kind of drives me crazy. Because then we just make it work for us, really, what was God intending for those people at that time. So to number our days, in my opinion, means what is the bigger picture? So when you jump to Joel 2, that's why verse 1 is so important. He says, blow the horn in Zion. Wake up, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. And he says, let all of the residents of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near. And you're like, what? It's bad enough. I'm intentionally slowing down on this because I want us to understand the magnitude of how when God gives somebody a word in the Old Testament and prophetically how it unfolds down, down the road, only God could put all these pieces together. Amen. Only God could put, in fact, last night, I, I got in this morning actually at 3.45, we did a road trip from Indiana yesterday. We drove straight through, it's a long story. Uh, we ended up, we were gonna stay at a place and we ended up getting driving through and at the gas station at like, who knows, 12.30 at night, I saw a little piece of a puzzle. And the Lord just said, keep picking up the pieces. That's all I heard. Just keep picking up the pieces. Now, let me just say, as far as a puzzle piece, you know, everybody put, put, they put the puzzles together differently, right? Some are edge people, right? Some of you, it drives you crazy if you're not an edge person, right? Or you're looking at a picture and you, but it's, there's no like number one through 30, right, Ray? You're putting the pieces together as, as you find them. And that's really what we're unfolding here. As with time in Daniel 12, it says, as with time goes, we will gain more insight and knowledge. This is just another piece to this, right? You know, I love that passage. It says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And so this is fun for God to sit in the floor with us yeah. with a jigsaw puzzle. As we seek, we find. Uh, if we don't seek, we don't find. Yeah. And so right. it's, it's part of the, uh, it's just part of the attaboy whenever we lean in and we seek and he keeps putting together the pieces as we look. I love it. It's just part of the attaboy. It's such a Tennessee thing yeah. to say, right? Yes. Okay, so in verses 2 through 10, you're going to see a description of, and this is Joel 2, 2 through 10, the description of the Great Tribulation. That's what you're going to see unfold. You're going to be see unfolding. And by the way, then it gets to verse 11. Again, I'm not teaching intentionally all of this because of, of our time. Joel 2 verse 11, the Lord raises his voice in the presence of his army. His camp is very large. Those who carry out his command are powerful. Indeed, the day of the Lord is terrible and dreadful. Who can endure it? Uh, you guys know this is about the coming Messiah. Joel 2 11, go back, Kevin, if you can, the very beginning of Joel 2 11. The Lord raises his voice in the presence of his army. His camp is very large. Well, guess whose army is coming? Amen? In Joel, he says, there's going to be a great tribulation, but don't worry. The Lord's going to raise his voice in the presence of his army. His camp is very large, like they're coming. I'll get into all that. But again, prophetically, when you start knowing the pieces, you'll start picking them up easier and say, oh yeah, that fits right there. No problem. That's kind of the beauty of this whole thing.
And in fact, in verses 12 through 17, let me just tell you this. There is a call that God makes to the Israelites to repent. So amidst all of this, guess what's going to happen? When Israel is blessed, can I just say this? You know why they're going to be blessed? Because there's a spirit of repentance that takes place. Uh, in verses 18 through 19, Joel 2, 18 through 19, Joel 2, 18 through 19, it says, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and spared his people. The Lord answered his people, Look, I am about to send you grain, new wine, and olive oil. In other words, God says, Hey, guess what? Yeah, there's going to be all this judgment of the nations. There's going to be the day of the Lord. But by the way, I'm going to bless your socks off in the end. In verse 20, it talks about the... the uh, the enemies that God's going to take care of. In verses uh, 23, we're talking about rain, of former rain and latter rain. Uh, and then in verse 25, Kevin, if you can, verse 25, he says, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locusts ate, the young locusts and the destroying locusts and the devouring locusts, my great army that I sent against you. So what is Ray, Ray ultimately what God is saying now? Yeah, he's going to redeem Israel and he's going to redeem everything the enemy has stolen. And, you know, prophetic words, if they resonate with us, are free to steal. And a lot of people steal this, uh, prophesying over when the enemy attacks their life. That God is a, this is a pattern of God to redeem what the enemy's stolen. Amen. Joel 2, verse 27. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. Joel 2, verse 27. Watch this. God says, You will know that I'm present in Israel and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people will never again be put to shame. When does all this happen? When is there restoration to Israel? Yes. All in this time frame. It's after the seven years. After the great tribulation period. After all of this fourth empire is in the process. But you guys understand that now, and that's our goal. Here are the pieces that we're talking about. So a new piece is, oh yeah, here's one that God says, I'm never going to put my people to shame again. Isn't that awesome? The Israelites should be shouting because <laughs> they live in this place of people constantly coming after them. Now it says in 28 through 32, this is the famous text, honestly, that people know the book of Joel for. Joel 2, 28 through 32, I will after this, I'll pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons, and, and by the way, has God's spirit been poured out on all humanity, on all flesh? No. But when we think of Pentecost, when we think of that time, it falls onto a group of people that became believers, but it wasn't all of humanity. So we can't say that that text is done. This text in Joel 2 has not been fully fulfilled yet. Okay, right. But it kicked it off. But it kicked it off. Absolutely. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Somebody asked me, what was the, the definition of an old man? You want to answer that? 120. 120. We don't know. We don't know what old is and what young is, but we do know old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. And it says, I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awe-inspiring day of the Lord comes. So what we just read is, is that in Joel 2, some of that, and so what I'm going to say is, this is going to get sloppy, these signs and wonders are going to take place before the day of the Lord. 
right? But remember, it says, but it comes after this. You guys getting your puzzle pieces? <laughs> after Israel is going to be redeemed and restored, before this is this. In order to number our days, we need to start at least being aware of what those things are. Joel 2 sets the stage very well. Finally, in verse 32, it says, Then everybody who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved, for there will be an escape for those on, in two places, on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as the Lord promised, among the survivors the Lord calls. In Joel 3, verse 1, we begin to describe the Great Tribulation. It says, Yet in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, Kevin, why does he make a distinction, do you think, between Judah and Jerusalem? What's he implying there? Well, one, Jerusalem had been the center, the city for both kingdoms when it was together. That was the capital, that's the Lord's city. And Judah would have been the country that he was, Joel was in. So. That would have been his language that he'd been talking to. And so God says, I'm going to restore all of it. I'm going to restore the fortunes of Judah, this whole southern kingdom mentality, right? Eventually, we're going to bring them all together and Jerusalem. And so he's saying, I'm putting everything together. And eventually, it's going to be fleshed out through the millennium. Now, let me just say this, okay? The millennium, I want to slow down just for a second. I know you guys probably know this already, but some that are new, maybe online. The millennium is a thousand years, okay? You will hear on our teaching, we believe a thousand years is actually a thousand years, Okay, so when we talk about that kind of language, the thousand years, Ray, is really, hey, look at that. <laughs> what? I could just make my timeline bigger. Watch this one. Uh-oh. Uh no, I'm good with that. Praise the Lord. You have the millennium, right? And the millennium is, again, a thousand years. Again, that's going to come after that language. So in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, uh, he says that, that it's going to take place for a thousand years. Now, I'm just going to go there already. After the thousand years, Ray, what do we call it? Well, after the thousand years, uh, there's a second war that ends everything. And then we go into a new Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth, and a new Jerusalem. So this is going to get all kind of, wait, what? Again, I want to throw out another piece and say after the thousand years, because have you ever wondered, well, what happens after the thousand years? Then you have a new heaven and a new earth. And, and I should write up there. You're right. You said in New Jerusalem. Okay, Ray? Because this, uh, this world, this earth, and this whole system is bound by time and space. Mm -hmm. And so that has to end to enter into an eternal uh, kingdom where... You know, God is reigning with his people, which is what he always wanted, what he started out in the garden with. And this, we have to be released from the bondage of time and space. And so he blows this thing up and he starts all over again. You mean like, like this? It's a bomb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he says this in verse two, I will gather. Notice this is all God doing the work, by the way. I will gather all of the nations. We used to always say this in Revive Indiana in 2015, all means all. I will gather all the nations and then I'll take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Later on, you'll see this language of the valley of, Ray, what else do we call this? The valley of decision. decision. 
Okay, we'll, we'll look at this. But I'm going to bring everybody to this valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means Yahweh judges, by the way. In other words, I'm bringing everybody to my courtroom. That's what he's saying. And I'm going to judge all of the nations. I will enter into judgment with them because of why? Because of my people. So because of Israelites, I'm now putting all of the nations on court. All of the nations are coming straight into Israel, to the valley of Jehoshaphat, to the valley of decision, a large valley. And I will enter into judgment with them because of my people. And he says, my inheritance, Israel, the nations. And now he begins to unfold why I'm bringing them there. He says, I'm going to bring them here because they have scattered the Israelites in foreign countries and divided up my land. You guys remember how we talked about how the Israelites on the diaspora, they were sent everywhere. God didn't like that, by the way. Clearly, he says, I'm judging the nations because you have scattered my people. And oh, by the way, you've messed with my land as well. Land is everything. Land is everything. He says in verse 3, they cast lots for my people. They sold them out, is what he's saying. They bartered a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine to drink. And so... Three different things. I want to just quick summarize this. Why is judgment coming to the nations? This is going to sound really, really drastic. It could move me up on this list. Okay? They're not being judged based on Jesus. The nations are not being judged based on Jesus. The nations are being judged on how they treated Israel. Does that make sense? Okay? Now, where does Jesus come from? Yes, he comes from Mary. He comes from Joseph. Yes, he comes from is, as an Israelite because he's the seed that came from them. But really, he's saying, I'm going to judge you based on how you treated my people. Israel is everything to God. The end battle is because of how they treated Israel. We have got to get this down. Israel is everything to God. Whenever you talk about the battle of Armageddon, the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of decision, do you realize it's based on Israel? So three things. Nelson Commentary says they did crimes against the land. They did cruelty to the people. And it says this. Now watch. Uh, I'm going to go to verses four and five. And also Tyre and Sidon and all the territories of Philistia. What are you to me? Are you paying me back or trying to get even with me? I will quickly bring retribution on your heads. He says this in verse five. Here's why I have a problem with you guys. You took my silver and gold and carried my finest treasures to your temples. They were looting the treasures of God's temple. So they messed with the land. They messed with the people. And they messed with the treasures from the temple. And God says, therefore, we will have a battle. Isn't that crazy? But how many of us ever think of the battle of Armageddon or the Valley of Jehoshaphat because of how somebody treated Israel? Not many. I can guarantee you, not many of us think like this. That's why Israel is so important. That's why we have to, yes, align ourselves in Genesis 12, 3 language. Bless them so you will be blessed. Curse them or you will be cursed. Genesis 12, 3, a piece that we talked about earlier on, 
is thrown out right here in the middle of the judgment of the nations. Oh, let's see how they did Genesis 12.3. It also gives extra power to Jesus' great commission mm. to go make disciples of all nations because yeah. how do you know you're not shifting a nation from a, a goat nation to a sheep nation by how they treat Israel? If, if enough people, whatever we come into agreement right. with in the spirit realm, we give it power and authority over us. And that's true as a national entity. He wants the nations to see the Messiah and see the importance of Israel. And in the end times, we have got to be voices, you and me, people online that declare this is really important. Which is why the church has got to get past this milk stage. We've got to be eating solid meat today. This is solid meat. We've got to be chewing on this to get the nations ready. What if we could help save a country? Because we knew the word. We just want somebody to feed us on church on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half. God help us. There's so much more here that every one of us is qualified to dig in. The anointing is on you. The scripture says every one of us has the anointing. Every one of us. I don't, it's crazy to me. He, he gets into Joel 3 to go back to this here. He says in verse 6, She sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks and to remove them far from their own territories. God's still mad, by the way. Look, I'm about to rouse them up from the place where you sold them. I'll bring retribution on your heads. In Jeremiah and Zechariah, by the way, there's this language that God says, I'm going to take care of this. He says in verse 8, I'll sell your sons and daughters into the hands of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a distant nation. I love that he says a distant nation. I'm going to send your people away. For the Lord has spoken. Now in verse 9, he begins to describe the judgment that's coming. So now he's already told you why he's doing the judgment. The land, the looting, and treating people bad. The Israelites, by the way. Now he's going to say, oh, now how, here's how I'm going to judge you. That's why, and now he says, and here's how. Well, proclaim this among the nations. It's, if, I, love, I love this. Nelson's commentary. Like This is the Lord being sarcastic, by the way. If you kind of have a little sarcasm in you, hang out in this verse. <laughs> he says, hey, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for holy war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the men of, of war advance and attack. In other words, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Idiots. It's not going to happen. But he, he, he lets them feel like that. And in Joel 3, verse 10, this is a famous verse, beat your plows into sorts. In other words, all the farming equipment that you've been using, all of the things in your shed, the things that you're working to do the crops, by the way, you better turn them into spears. Leave, let even the weakling say, I'm a warrior. In other words, you're going to need everybody. Right? It's turning your peacetime economy into a wartime economy. Yeah. Everything is producing yeah. weapons of war. And by the way, if, if you are already here in the judgment of the nations and you're trying to do that, it's too late. Huh. <laughs> I don't know what that was, by the way. Oh, Lord, sorry. Okay, now watch this. Okay, go to Micah 4, 1 through 5. Here's the opposite side. Micah 4, 1 through, uh, 4, 1 through 5 says... In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. Peoples will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, 
to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may what walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will, he will settle disputes among many peoples and provide arbitration for strong nations that are far away. Now watch in verse 3, it continues. They will beat their swords, what? Into plows. And their spears into pruning knives. Wait, what? Joel just said the opposite. Micah said, yeah, that's because I'm talking about a different time frame. Nation will not take up the sword against nation and they will never again train for war. But watch, watch for but each man will sit under his grapevine and under his fig tree and with no one to frighten him. <laughs> like it won't happen. They're going to be drinking their coffee, hanging out. This is great. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has promised this. It's a different time frame. Micah is talking about the thousand years. Joel is talking about, hey guys, wartime's coming. And the wartime is coming, I'm going to say it again, because you messed with my land. You messed with my people, and you messed with the temple. And oh, by the way, I didn't forget. So he says in verse 11, I'm in back Joel 3, verse 11, Come quickly, all you surrounding nations, gather yourselves, bring down your warriors there, Lord. Let the nations be roused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit down to judge all of the surrounding nations based on how you treated me. You guys know this text, but I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Kevin, can you go to uh, Matthew 24? I, I just don't want to miss that one real quick. Matthew 24, Ray referenced this. Matthew 25, sorry. Matthew 25, the sheep and the goat nations. Look, a lot of people, I think, take this out of context. Matthew 25, Kevin, did I, I'm sorry, I didn't probably tell you the verse. Uh, Matthew 25, really go to verse 40. Matthew 25, verse 40. This is really powerful. Uh, the sheep and goats, they are nations, by the way. Sheep and goat nations. Can you take the principles of individuals? You can. You can take the individual principles. But in verse 40, he says, And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, what, brothers of mine, you did for me. The brothers, the brethren, Jesus is talking, are the Israelites. How you fed them, how you gave them water, how you gave them clothing, I will judge you based on your actual action. If the United States blesses Israel, I will notice that. If Romania blesses Israel with physical action and helping, I will notice that. But if you're in Iran that wants to blow up my people, I also make, make notice of that, right? Yeah, on an individual basis, we're judged on our belief in Jesus. On That's a right. national basis, we're judged on how we treat Israel. Okay, say that one again. <laughs> on an individual basis, we're judged by our belief in Jesus. On a national basis, we're judged on our treatment of Israel. Woo! So when, when we say that the church is now Israel, it's just bad theology. And the majority of seminaries, and unfortunately many churches, are leaning that way 
simply because I actually believe they just might not understand and grasp the bigger picture. I don't think their heart is in the wrong place. I think they would even say Israel has a future because they can come to know Christ. But corporately, God's not done with his people corporately. We can't just say, oh yeah, now you're all of us. There's something more there. And I would just say, put your antennas up. That's a piece, you guys, that doesn't fit. Let's go back to uh, uh, Matthew 25, uh, 32. Thanks, Kevin. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, just as a shepherd separates a sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Remember? And then that's when he says, uh, if you do all of these things, and then he says, and you did this for my brother. The nations are, the, are people on how you treat Israel. Right. This is one of the passages that bring clarity because yeah. some people teach that only believers go into the millennium. This is one of the passages that prove otherwise. Mm. That the people that survive Armageddon are going to go into the millennium. They'll be, they'll be believer, unbelievers, sheep, and goats. And he will rule with a rod of iron. That's good. Okay, go back to Joel 3 if you can. Joel 3, uh, Kevin, I am in verse 12. Let the nations be roused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of decision, for there I will sit down to judge all of the surrounding nations. And you already know, it's based on how they treated Israel. I'm going to keep saying this because this is not common language, I believe, in the church. I want us to get this down. And he says this, now in verse 13. Now, the valley of Jehoshaphat, okay? Another language besides the valley of decision is the battle of Armageddon. Megiddo, Armageddon. There's multiple places of where people think this could be. Some say it's up north. Some say it's near the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem. Either way, let me just tell you this. It's going to be a massive battle and a lot of blood. How do I know? Watch. It says in verse 13, Swing the sickle because the harvest is ripe. Come and trample the grapes because the wine press is full. Why do you think he uses language of trample the grapes? What's that imagery? You guys remember I Love Lucy? You remember that? She pulls up her pants. You remember this? And she just stomps away, and what happens? Then the juice begins to flow. God will do that with the nations. The wine vats overflow because of the wickedness of the nations is great. He will judge them so much that the blood will just literally go throughout the country. Multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord, here's that language, is near in the valley of decision. Right. I love that he keeps calling it uh, the valley of decision yeah. because you don't have to be in that valley. That's right. What do you mean? I mean, a nation can choose not to be in that valley. That's right. He's putting it, a personal decision has been made to show up in that valley. That's good. I, I want to just articulate really quick about the day of the Lord, okay? The day of the Lord, this is pretty, you know what? Let's just do a part two. I'm going to do a part two. We're going to hit a pause. I think I've thrown enough at you. <laughs> yeah. My clock is done right there. And then Ray has to, or Rich has to edit this. Kevin, do you agree? Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure who you are. <laughs> because I stopped? with Kyle. Yeah, it's a valley decision. I didn't want to be there with you guys. So, you know, uh, no, there's just, uh, 
Where we're going next is I, I don't want us to miss this with this. And I could cram it in in a minute or we could literally just say, but how does this unfold in Scripture? And there's so much here. And I, I just really believe, um, and I don't know if everybody fully grasps this. Everybody is like, hey, you know, President Trump, former president of the United States, for those that are from different countries, uh, you know, he, one of his greatest moves I believe he did was put the embassy in Jerusalem. Yeah. And I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. <laughs> do you know how many people promised that and they didn't do it? On both sides. I don't care. But Trump did it. And so any other official that comes in and starts messing with that support, you're ultimately not messing like with their presidency. You're messing with the nation. Which that then falls on us. Yes, I love what you, I love what you said. I have never heard it said like that. Say it again one more time. The individual and the corporate. I think that's really yeah, good. So individually we're judged based on our belief in Jesus. As a nation, we're judged on our treatment of Israel. Yeah. You know, I've, I've mentioned this gentleman before. His name is William Kennig, Bill Kennig. He wrote a book called uh, Eye for Eye, uh, Eye to Eye. Tom? Eye. Eye to Eye. And it was all based on any time the United States political figures made a decision against Israel, what would happen to our country. And it, it was something bad. And so that's why when I see my African friends on here, it's so important that your political figures actually support Israel. In the embassies right now, it's, it is Honduras, uh, because they just, they just launched an embassy there, Guatemala, the U.S., and Kosovo. Other countries have promised to support Israel, but they haven't shown action. I believe the sheep nations, the defining line is, is don't just say you support Israel, do something about it. Do something about it. And as believers, we have to know the word well enough to encourage people to say, that's why this matters. Okay. Well, there's our part one. <laughs> oh, man. That's all right. Part one. I want to just keep making this uh, more visually so everybody can just see the big picture. Let's close in prayer if we can. Um, I think before we do, I just, there's one simple, simple thing. It doesn't matter if you live right now in Namibia, the United States, South Africa, uh, or North Dakota. The end goal is for all of us to say yes to Jesus. When we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, we have hope. Because ultimately, when Christ comes back here in the day of the Lord, here for the judgment of the nations, we're just right behind him, and he does all of the work. We're not part of that bloodbath. We have hope. And so I think as we talk about all of this fighting and the day of the Lord and all of the, it's intense. The reason it's important to number our days is we got to keep telling people so that they don't participate in that. And so, Lord, I just say thank you for this this time. Thanks for allowing us just to take the scriptures and allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe on them to show us what this looks like. And so I, I lay this at your feet and I ask, Lord, that you keep giving us wisdom and knowledge on how to live this thing out. And I do pray for the countries that are represented in this teaching. I do pray for the United States.
I do pray for South Africa. I do pray for Kenya. I do pray for Namibia. God, forgive me if there's more countries I'm not seeing. I pray for those countries and that we would get behind your people. But may we do it in line with Scripture. May we do it in line with ethics. We don't want to support things, God, that are not of you. And so, God, may you just keep showing us how to represent Jesus well each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen.